Let's open up to Genesis uh, 48. If you don't have a Bible, there's usually one in the seat back in front of you. If not, you can bug your neighbor for one. Say, hey, give me a sword. Lord, we ask that as we open your scriptures this morning, as we open your word, as we pierce into your word, that it would pierce our hearts. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. And as we look at these men and these women and these circumstances, Lord, our my mind, my heart, I know as I look at our church, so many of the things that we're going through are paralleled with this. And just to see your faithfulness, to see you work in everyday lives through government, through people, through trials, tribulations, through our weaknesses, through all of it. You are so good. You are so good to us. And we praise you and we worship you for your goodness. So Lord, would you bless this time in your word? Would you take it and do what you'd like to do in it? Speak to us, Father, where we are. Encourage us, rebuke us, correct us, exhort us, and set us on the path of fruitfulness. And I'm just asking, Lord, that uh, wherever we go next, it would just be exponentially wonderful. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we are in Egypt, obviously. Jacob, uh, Jacob has come back into the land with his 11 sons. And uh, J- Joseph is in the land. He's had two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, by a, um, by a, an Egyptian uh, lady there. And so they are all back together in the land. There's a great famine. There's still five years left. He's, the people are totally having trouble making ends meet. The people of God are taken care of by Joseph. The benefits of knowing Joseph, I can't tell you how great they are in times of famine. The benefits of knowing Jesus. The things that he has given us in him. The things we don't deserve are just, they are so good, so overwhelming, so fulfilling. And as I said last week, it doesn't mean we aren't to be a people who suffer. But even in the suffering, he takes care of us and is moving us on his plan. The Egyptians are having a hard time. The people of God, the Israelites, who would be the Israelites, have their own, they have a choice land, they're in a great place. But the people of Egypt are, they're starving. And so first they give their money to buy grain. And then that runs out. And after a year, what do they do? They have to give up their, their cattle, their possessions. So it's digging deeper, right? And then finally, they, they have to give up their land. They give their land, and not only their land, they give up their, their persons to pay for the food that was coming from Pharaoh's court. And so they had to give a fifth, 20th percent of a, of a tax back to the Pharaoh of uh, of the of the time, and it became law, a twenty percent flat tax. What would happen is the uh, Joseph would give them seed; they would plant it or not. They could die or they could live, and whatever they made, twenty percent had to go back out. And we spoke last week. I, I kind of encouraged you guys <laughs> on the tithe. Like, if they're given twenty, what about our ten? Why do we grumble? They were thankful. 
that says, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for saving us from the pit. And we know that 10% is just a, is, is a model, a tie of the tenth. Really, we should be putting our whole bodies before the Lord. A living sacrifice is what the Lord wants. That's what he desires from each of us. And so, at the end of chapter 47, Joseph and Jacob are speaking. And it says in verse 28, Jacob lived in, in Egypt 17 years. His years were 147. When his time drew near for Israel to die, and he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh, that's pinky swear, and promise you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. Don't let me go back in this land, but fulfill the promise of God. Take my body, put me back in the land. I will do as you say, uh, Joseph said. Swear to me, he said. And Joseph swore to him, And so Israel worshiped and leaned on the top of his staff. And it says in chapter 48, sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. And so he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, verse 2, your sons have come to see you. Israel, another name for Jacob, Jacob and Israel is used interchangeably, right? Israel rallied his strength and sat up on his bed. Now, this is a difficult time in Jacob's life. Any of you going through difficult times? He's dying. He's facing death. He's at the end of his life. No matter how, uh, how, uh, how you squared away where you are with the Lord, it's still a difficult time. You have two worlds that are kind of colliding. You've got the life of the spirit and life of the flesh, and those things are being separated. And we see that when Joseph comes to visit him, he rallies his strength. Jacob rallies his strength that he sits up on his bed. In Hebrews 11.21, it says of Jacob at this moment, it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons, which we'll read about, and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. It was faith that strengthened him. And as we have been looking at Joseph being a type of Christ, isn't that what, that what the Lord does when we're weak? He comes to us and we rally our strength. Doesn't he do that to us? When we are weak, when we are broken, oh, the Lord Jesus, he comes and he visits us. He gives us his Holy Spirit and, and we're strengthened within. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I know it's subtle, but Joseph being a picture of Jesus, who is Jesus? The word of God. When the word came to Jacob, his strength was restored. It's kind of interesting how all those tie together. Take it with a grain of salt, but I'm just kind of saying there's some things we can, we can dig into and look at and see Jesus in here. But what if a beautiful picture of Christ and what he does in our lives and how important it is that we're in daily fellowship with our Lord. If you are weak and weary and tired, dig into the word of God. Open it up. Let it encourage you because the scriptures point to who? Jesus. They point to Jesus. And he is the one who encourages us and strengthens us. And you will begin to be lifted. When you're discouraged and you're downhearted, begin to praise him. 
Begin to sing out to him and you will see your heart is lifted. When you're feeling alone, begin to serve him. Begin to serve him. And you will see the Lord bring people around you and surround you with friendships and strengthen you. I love that about the Lord. You know what I'd also say about this, and this is really important in our church, in every church actually, I, this reminds me of how important it is to visit those who are suffering in our week. You know, it really does. You know, Jesus spoke of this attitude of service in Matthew 25, heavy chapters there, uh, 24, 25, beginning in verse 31, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, <clears throat> he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It's your reward. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. You looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and when did we feed you? Lord, or when you were thirsty, when did we give you something to drink? Verse 38 says, when do we see uh, when, when do we see you as stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, it's not talking about the world. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. And the king is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And I think as Keith Green said, what's the difference between the sheep and the goats? What they did and did not do. I love that. It's a testimony of those who are his will be doing those things. It is not a salvation thing. We're not saved because of those things. But because we are saved, that is Christ in us. These things will be happening. When we minister to our sick brothers and sisters, we are ministering to Jesus Christ not all of you are called to lead worship or to stand up here on Sunday morning and preach. Not that you can't. But I tell you what, there are ministries happening in this church that I see that are precious. And on that day, when the Lord, stand, you stand before him, I tell you how wonderful that is going to be for you. Continue to minister to those who are hurting and those who are sick. Because in reality, you are ministering to Jesus Christ and because I can't leave this passage undone, I have to read the rest of it. Verse 41, ready for the downer? And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. I don't know how you can say that something else. Depart from me into eternal fire, you who are, you know, go, go to where the, the place designed for the devil and the angels. Not very popular these days. Hell. Four, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. 
And they also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing of clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Righteous brothers and sisters, that's you guys, right? Look for the opportunities to visit those who are hurting in our body. Amen? And again, I want to commend those of you who are operating in this capacity, but we're all called to it. We're all called to look into each other's needs. This is how love is demonstrated. You see this in the New Testament. It says, visit widows, visit orphans, right? And somehow we think that it's limited to, this is true religion, visiting widows and orphans. No, that is two expressions of the day where love was to be expressed. That is how love, that is how it was to be shown. That is extended to those who cannot help themselves, those who are hurting, those who are poor, ministering to Christ. It's not limited to those two things. But Joseph, he visited Jacob and his strength was restored. Faith filled his heart. In verse 3, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. Luz is another name for Bethel. Remember that house of God? Where the ladder came down. Angels ascending and descending. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. This is what I'm going to do. I will make you to a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to the descendants after you. Jacob's recalling the promise of God to his son. He's recalling the promise, promise of God to his son, that God would bless him, that he would make him a nation, that he would give him descendants in the land of Canaan, which is Israel, right? God promised that. The promise has been repeated from father to son for three generations now, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, now Jacob to Joseph. And this is really what fathers are to do with the precious promises that God has given us in Christ Jesus. We are to give them to our sons and daughters. Give them to our grandchildren. Repeat them. Remind them of it constantly, daily. We're to seek out those promise. You know, I know we talk about promise keepers, right? I love promise keepers. It's a great movement. I think God, God did some cool things in my life. But I mean, I just want to be promised believers, promised seekers, you know? I want to find those promises and, and say, thank you, Lord, that you said you would do this. You're the promise keeper. And I just want to hold on to that and say, thank you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, what you would do. Now look at Jacob. God said, I'm going to do this. And God did it. And Jacob enjoyed the blessings of it. We saw he had a lot of problems. But here he is, still saying, look at God's faithfulness. Look what he promised to do, and look what he's done. Look, we're in the middle of it, in the middle of his plan. So seek out those promises in Scripture. Base our lives upon them. Live upon those things. Teach and pass them on to our sons and daughters as a way of life. Amen? Verse 5, And now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under their names of their brothers. So Jacob is what he's doing. He's adopting Jake, uh, Joseph's sons that he had in Egypt. He's adopting them, Ephraim and, and Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was the firstborn, and Ephraim was the secondborn to Joseph. And Jacob is actually adopting them right here, making them as if they were his own sons. 
And this was not like taking them away from Joseph, but he was adding them to. They were included in the blessing. They were included in the tribes. They would actually become their own tribes. He wasn't taking them away from them, saying, now you have to leave your house. He's saying, these are ours. They're, they're as if they're mine. Just like Reuben and Simeon, the first and second born that I had. These are yours. I mean, these are, these are mine. And now we know that Jacob had 12 sons and he adopts two more. And so technically, uh, there were more than 12 tribes, right? And we can get into all that stuff and have fun. But what happens in scripture is that there's always 12 tribes whenever they're mentioned. Some get taken out. Like, what happened to Joseph? Is Joseph ever mentioned in the 12 tribes? Only in Revelation. So Joseph, when you, when you see Ephraim and Manasseh, that's the tribe of Joseph, but they're split into two. And what happens is you'll be talking about war, and they'll name all the tribes, but they'll leave out the Levites, because the Levites didn't go to war, and so they added in these other guys. And so that's kind of what's happened. There's, over, there's more than 20 different ways that they compile these things. I have no idea why God's doing that, but they always name them 12. 12 is a pretty important number to the Lord, as we, as we see throughout there. And so just when you remember and you see Ephraim and Manasseh, that's the tribe of Joseph. Obviously, it gets interesting there. So Jacob adopts these sons as his own. And verse 7, as I was returning from Padan to, to sorrow, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. And so I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And so Jacob is filling in Joseph on the rest of the story, which is that his mother, his full mother, that's where she died. That's what happened to her. She died on the way to, to Bethlehem. And when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, verse 8, he asked, who are these? And he doesn't know who they are. He's blind. And they are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. And then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. And so Joseph's two sons were named Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh, it means forgetfulness. And Ephraim means fruit, fruitfulness, forgetfulness and fruitfulness. Isn't that neat to name your kids? Like, man, that kid is forgetful. That's his name. No, no, that's not what's going on. <laughs> Why do you think he named his kids those names? He went through a lot of hard, hard times. But the good was so good. God's goodness was so good that he forgot what the bad was like. He named his kid as a testimony, his firstborn forgetfulness. I'm standing in such goodness that I can't even, it doesn't affect me as much anymore. You know what I'm saying? And then he names his kid fruitfulness. Not because he was fruity, but because of the abundance of what God did in his life. He was a blessing to everyone else around him, was he not? The things that were happening in his life had meaning, had purpose. He was preserving life. And that is what we're called to do. We're, we're called to be life preservers, savers. Jesus has called us to be salt and light to point him to the one. May our lives be forgetful of the past, of all the junk that's gone behind us and, and be totally set upon the fruitfulness of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even though I'm going through difficult times or whatever it might be, you're so good, Lord. So 
I love the, that testimony of the names of the sons. You know, dad, you gave me, uh, dad gave me these sons. You know, Joseph's saying their lives testify of what God has done in my life. You know, I did that with, with John. We did that with John. John, our firstborn, means God is gracious. God is gracious. That's what John means. I love that name. You know, I know we talk about, you know, John's a plain name. It's just like, but it's attached to God is gracious. He has given me what I do not deserve. And then Ruth, companion, friend. I was so lonely, so far away, so empty. And now look. God has filled my life with friends, companionship. My wife, Christine. You know, I mean, how good is the Lord? I stand in his goodness. So our kids are kind of a testimony of the Lord. So Jacob's saying, hey, bring these boys here so I can bless them. I love that about grandpas, huh? They can be such a source of blessing. Bring them here. Let me smother them and, and hug them and tickle them and bless them. Yeah, I love that about my grandfather, always sharing the Lord with me and praying for me. and He's just awesome man of the Lord. Ninety-something, three years old. Verse 10 says, Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old, old age. He's kind of filling us in. He's blind. And he could hardly see. So he's 147. I have no idea. That's pretty old. So his eyes are failing. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Verse 11, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. What in the world? This is so awesome. And then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. Here, the second in command of all of Egypt is still revering his father. Pretty cool. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right, and he brought them close. And so Jacob's going to pronounce a blessing upon Joseph's two boys. This blessing is like the blessing that uh, Jacob stole from Esau. That's kind of what's going on, this, this prophesying, this pronouncement over their lives a blessing, a spiritual blessing. And so uh, Joseph, he takes his boys, he positions the two sons in front of Jacob with Ephraim on, on Joseph's right hand the, 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 and then um, Manasseh on Joseph's left so that Jacob, when he's there, the, the firstborn, the oldest, would be Manasseh at his right hand and that Ephraim would be on his left. Jacob, so Jacob would be putting his right hand, the hand of blessing in Scripture, on the oldest, and then the hand of, you know, not so much blessing <laughs> on, on, the, on the second board. And so jo- Joseph has this in mind. The firstborn is to receive the right hand of blessing. David Guzik says the right hand in the Bible is always has the idea of the favored position because generally speaking, the right hand is the hand of strength and skill. Most people are right-handed. The right hand is associated with God's strength in Exodus 15.6, favor in Psalm 16.1, and help in Psalm 20, verse 6. And this is why Jesus is described as sitting at the right hand of the Father in Mark uh, chapter 14. And so verse 14 says, what does Israel do? He says, but Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's. And though he was younger and in crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head. He did the old switcheroo here. Ah. This is a pattern in the family, isn't it? Verse 15, and then he blessed Joseph. Why is he saying, then he blessed Joseph? 
kind of, they're all one and the same. Those two tribes, it's a little foreshadow. May the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, and the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. Notice that he is blessing the boys, but he says in verse uh, 15 that he blessed Joseph. And again, that's that picture of the two being one, the uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, both are the tribe of Joseph. But Jacob blesses, blesses Joseph by saying, may God bless these boys. Blessings come from God, friends. That is where all blessings flow. They come from the Lord. But notice three things here. Jacob identifies a couple attributes of God and his people, but check this out. He says, the God before whom my fathers walked faithfully. And then he says, the God who has been my shepherd to this day. So you're going to get three God statements here, right? And it says, some translations say, uh, the God who has fed me. How many of you have that in your, your Bibles? God who has fed me. That, that literally means who has shepherded me, who's been my shepherd. And so this is the first mention of God being a shepherd in Scripture. So book of, book of beginnings, right? And lastly, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. You know, this is a good outline to pray for our kids that they would walk faithfully before, the God, before God, you know, being about his kingdom, that God would shepherd them to take care of their every need, their daily bread, and that God would deliver them from evil, would thwart the plans of the, that the enemy has over them. And that is how we pray constantly over our kids. That is how we, you know, I, and obviously there's more to it. But I love those three things, that they would walk faithfully before the God, that God would shepherd them, take care of all their needs, and that the enemy would be pushed out. I love that. I wonder if Jesus had this in mind, if he had been meditating on this passage of Scripture when the disciples asked him, hey, how do we pray? Do you see elements of the Lord's Prayer in there? It's pretty, pretty interesting there. So Jacob, Jacob switches hands He's placing his right hand on the younger one, Ephraim, and the left hand on the older one, Manasseh. They both receive blessing, but Ephraim would receive uh, the greater portion, as we will see. Verse 17, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. And so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. You got it all wrong, Dad. And Joseph said to him, no, my father, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Dad, you're not seeing too well here. You got it all wrong. You're mixed up. I love verse 19. But his father refused and said, I know what I'm doing. I know, I know, my son. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Don't worry, he'll receive a blessing. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. And that was what the Spirit of the Lord was doing uh, at that moment. That's exactly what had happened. Ephraim became greater, a greater tribe by far in numbers and historically over, his, uh, over the other tribe there. If you recall in the times of the kings of Israel, um, remember when the nations were divided in, uh, Israel was divided into the two nations, the southern nation of Judah, which was two tribes, and then well, actually more than that, but I won't get into it. And then the northern kingdom was ten tribes. Well, I think it was uh, 
Jeroboam, who was who led away that the ten tribes to the north, he was he kind of took everybody and caused problems and brought them up north. He was from Ephraim. And and quite often in scripture those two are interchanged. You'll call Israel, they call Israel, Jacob, Ephraim. It's on prophecy, they they switch out these names constantly, and so you gotta kinda keep on top of that if you're gonna read through. So I know you get, that's gonna help you out in life today. So I wanted you to have that as you're walking down the street. Yeah, I nerded it up, sorry. Uh, but I know that you love your firstborn. He's going to be blessed too, but the greater blessing is going to go towards the younger one. You know, we've seen this repetition over and over in Scripture. Over and over in Scripture. Abel was blessed. Cain, the elder, really wasn't, was he? Isaac, the younger, received the greater blessing than Ishmael, the elder. Jacob received the blessing, not Esau. Joseph was blessed, not Reuben. Benjamin received five times as much as the other ten brothers. Surely they were blessed, but, you know, it was poured out exponentially on the youngest. Moses was called before Aaron, his brother. Think of David. Passed over all of his brothers, a lot of brothers. Think of what a family dynamic that might have been. (laughs) I'm sure he got chided a little bit. David, why does God do this? You know, why does he do that? You know, perhaps in those cultures, being firstborn had a certain pride that would make it difficult for a person to be receptive to the things of the Lord. Any of you firstborns out there? Raise your hand. Yeah, I could figure that's pretty much, pretty much. Secondborns and in, in below, yeah. Are you servants? Yeah. I'm just playing with you. I'm a firstborn, obviously, right? But there's a spiritual principle here. And it always deals with the heart, right? It doesn't make a difference of when you're born. It's always the heart. But the Lord often takes things that are not and places them over the things that are. Humility trumps pride in the kingdom of God. Humility trumps pride in the kingdom of God. How about in the world? Does humility trump pride? Uh, We like to say we like it, but when it comes down to how things really work, pride. You know, when when the guys get over there and they win the football game, they smash the other person most of the time, and then they try to hold back their pride as much as they can for appearances. It's hardly ever that they really have genuine humility. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just being a competitor at church volleyball things, and I'll spike it on people. <laughs> you know I mean? Sorry, we won't do that. But dependence upon the Lord over independence. How many of you are fiercely independent? God values independence? What's a kingdom value? Dependence upon him. Submission. The first shall be last, and the last shall become first. Does that ring a bell? Greatness in the kingdom, the greatest in the kingdom is what? The servant of all. Unless you have faith as a child, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the way of the kingdom. And so those who have public positions, who have uh, authority, who are in charge, you know, who have stigma, of clout, who have seniority. 
you know, we should see all these things in the light of the cross. We have to, right? The authority that the Lord has given you or that you've achieved and accomplished. Be circumspect because, make note, these things are not advantages in the kingdom of God. In the world, yes. They're absolute advantages, aren't they? But spiritually speaking, they can cloud our minds. They can make us think that we are more than we are, truly. Can't they? Especially, you know, those who've uh, done well in things and have accomplished it. And I'm not knocking that down. I'm just saying that the reality is we can look at all these types of things, these accomplishments, and put them on as a coat, and somehow that translates into, you know, I'm a little above you. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit more powerful. I'm a little bit more right with God because I stand up here and I talk to you. Our hearts are stupid sometimes. It's dangerous. So these things, you know, uh, you know that we accomplish and we do, uh, you know, they, they really work out well in the world, but in the kingdom of which you are citizens, the answer is not, not so much. They are, they're, they're things that we have to put in proper perspective constantly. Does that make sense? We have to watch out for these things. Look at Paul, Mr. Triple PhD in theology, who said he counted it all loss. Remember Philippians, uh, Philippians 3? He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, hey, I have more. I trump all of you, is what Paul would stand up there and say. I mean, he could walk into a room and just blow everybody away intellectually, theologically. I mean, he could just, yeah, you know what I mean? He could do that. I have more confidence than all of you. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. You know, translate this stuff into our society and the things we value, however that is in your mind. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. I did it all. I am awesome. I've got the things on my wall to show it. Everybody can testify it. I've got the lineage. I've got the certificate. I've got the pedigree, everything. Verse 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It's all loss. And we know that word means dung. He says, Now, I'm not, you know, for me, I'm just saying, now I'm not saying that the position and wealth and education are wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all, right? I'm saying that they do nothing for your righteousness before God. And that's what makes it confusing because it's a different value system than the kingdom. He operates on a different value system than we do. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, there's some things that overlap, but they are worlds at odds. That's what I was saying. What do we esteem over what God says? We need to be transformed. The renewing of our mind by the washing of the word This is why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he adds, what does he say? With God, all things are possible. It's the heart. This is why Paul warns the church in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the elements of spiritual forces 
of this world rather than of Christ. There's a lot of great books out about Jesus and, the, and you, know, you can get into Hebrew roots and all this kind of crazy stuff. Bane philosophies. Listen to the teachers you're listening to. Listen to the pastors on TV. If they don't sound like Jesus, if they don't sound like the apostles, if they don't, aren't preaching the same things, be careful. Be careful. And so, God often had to skip over the firstborn, not because they were firstborn, but because of the lack of the humility. Sometimes the culture overrides, right? And as brothers and sisters, we know that what God has given us, it cannot be an idol in our lives. It has to be secondary to the throne. And the blessings that he gives us, obviously, are to bless others. And some of us have more or less in the different giftings, and they are to be used for the benefit of one another. And that's the way it should be, but... So if you're doing well in the world's eyes, man, stay close to Jesus every day. And we know that there's the opposite of that. We can have this false humility going on too. And so beware of that. We take pride in that we have nothing and look at me. You know what I mean? So, but anyways, uh, you know, hold your worldly accomplishments loosely before his throne so that the Lord will use you to be a blessing with what he's given you, like Jesus, right? And Joseph said to him, reminder here, we're going to quickly finish. No, my father, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. He too will become a people. He too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. Verse 20, and he blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And so he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die. And then Israel said to Joseph, sorry, I repeated that for some reason. I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers. The ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. That's not recorded anywhere else, so this is something that happened. But he's giving that final speech, that final in spiritual inheritance to his son. And I want to close by reading something Charles Purgeon said. It says, If Abraham dies, there is Isaac. And if Isaac dies, there's Jacob. And if Jacob dies, there's Joseph. And if Joseph dies, Ephraim and Manasseh survive. The Lord shall never lack a champion to bear his standard high among the sons of men. Only let us pray that God to raise up more faithful ministers day and night. We have plenty of a sort, but oh, for more that will weigh out 16 ounces to the pound of gospel in such a way that people will receive it. We have too much of a fine language, too much of a florid eloquence, and little full and plain gospel preaching. But God will keep up the apostolic succession Never fear of that. When Stephen is dying, Paul is not far off. When Elijah is taken up, he leaves his mantle behind him. And so the question, you know, that I I leave you with is, what will be the spiritual inheritance you will leave behind for your kids? You know? And it's so important. When it's all been said and done, it's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. We have been bought We are no longer our own and we have been called to a glorious calling and we are about redemption. We are about reconciliation. We are about 
being ministers of Jesus Christ. Each one of you is ordained. Boom, it's done, okay? Jesus has given you. When you had the Holy Spirit come in your life, when you were born again, you were his, and now you are a kingdom of priests. Go share the goodness. Go minister to it. Go give it. If you don't have it, ask for it, and he will give it to you so that you can give it away. He desires to bless you, to bless others. So be blessed this week. Drink deep of the Lord. Fill yourself with his word and let him pour it out through you to others. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I really thank you, Lord, for your scripture. And I'm asking for the, just your Holy Spirit to visit your people this week. This precious group of people that as they work, as they play, as they have fellowship, Lord, as they seek you, as they're paying bills, as they are uh, going to uh, maybe have vacation or spring breaks coming up, all this stuff, just be in their midst, Father. I pray that you would speak your words to them in a way that would be powerful. So powerful, Lord. I pray that you'd open up doors for just the plain gospel preaching in words and in deeds. And we ask these in the name of Jesus. Amen.